So this morning we're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 and concentrating on the subject of enjoying a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And my goal this morning is to deepen and enrich our relationship with God. So my outline is fairly simple. I'm going to talk about relationship with the Father and then relationship with Jesus and then relationship with the Spirit. And then I'm going to end by giving us an invitation. Often when we talk about invita- about um, relationship with God, we just make it, you know, just God as a, as a, a, a unity. And I think that considering it this way, it's not only biblical, it's what comes out of the passage here very clearly, but it can be really give us traction in, in growing in the depth of our relationship with him. So I'm going to base this on Ephesians chapter 3, but before I do that, I want to look at a few verses in Ephesians chapter 2, which, which set the stage for it. This is 2, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> for he, that's Jesus, is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God, that's the Father, through the cross. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, uh, do you notice anything about the words that I've highlighted there? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to say? There are references to God, but what about them? It's the Trinity. That's right. Now, there's no particular, there's no place in the scripture where the word Trinity is used. You can't look up a particular place and it it formulates it. Yet, it's woven throughout the New Testament. And if you're looking and you know what you're looking for, you can see it in the Old Testament as well. And so all three persons of the Trinity are involved in this. Um, The early church had this symbol for the Trinity, and I'm not going to preach on this topic today because it would be too big for what we're talking about, but this is an ancient representation of three persons who are joined together. Uh, uh, There are actually three personalities with separate identities, activities, choice, consciousness, um, but they're not three people who got together and said, oh, let's call ourselves God, since we seem to be on the same page. No, they actually share the same essence, the same core essence, who they are, but they're distinct. So the Father didn't die on the cross. It was Jesus. It's not just one God who shows up in three different ways. There are three people. Well, like I said, it's a deep subject. I'm not going to try and explain it today, but all we need to hold today is the fact that there are three distinct uh persons in God and we can have a relationship that's different in some ways with all each of them and that can enrich our relationship. So let's come to our passage then in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on the earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Does this, are you feeling, well, I'd like this, I'd like to know this better? I hope you are, because that's where we want to go to today, to really connect with what this is saying. Now to him, the Father, who by the power that is working within us, is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Again, that sounds pretty amazing. This is what I want. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to unpack these verses here the, uh, this morning. And uh, I'm, what I'm going to do is to to go through this, these verses, looking at the parts that refer to different, the three different members of the Trinity. And uh, there is, uh, each one has a, a different relationship, different part to play in the relationship with us. And if I want to summarize this, um, each one of us wants us to enjoy the other two. So the main goal of the Spirit is that he says, I just want to give you Jesus and to, for you to appreciate the Father more. And the Father says, I'm giving you the Spirit so you can experience Jesus and the depth of his love. And Jesus says, I come, I love my Father so much, I've come to reconcile you with him. So each member of the Trinity is passionate about engaging us with the other two. So we're going to look then at these three members and a relationship with all three. And I'm going to start by looking at the Father. So I'm going to summarize to start with our relationship with the Father. In the history of the church, there's rightly been a lot of emphasis on Jesus. As you look through the last 2,000 years, um, more recently, there's been emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the last few decades. Um, but the Father rarely receives the emphasis that he deserves. And yet Paul talks almost as much about the Father as he talks about Jesus. And Jesus says the purpose he came to earth was to reconcile us with the Father. Um, so, example, Ephesians 2.16, to reconcile them both in one body to God, the Father, through the cross. That was the verse that we read earlier. So, <clears throat> I want then, first of all, to talk about the Father and how we relate to him. Now, there are two images in the Bible, of the way that we connect to the Father, where we relate to him. One of them is adoption, and the other is through birth. Now, Roman adoption is very different to adoption that we have nowadays. In, in Roman times, usually somebody would be an adult when they were adopted. Usually it would be somebody's slave, and somebody didn't have any children. They wanted somebody to pass their inheritance to, and so they would adopt one of their slaves as their son. And so this person goes from a transformation from being like a slave to not only being a son, but the one who's going to inherit the whole of the family name and family wealth. And so this image that Paul is using is much more powerful than adoption that we have in our culture because it's a complete change of status from from the old status to the new. And so that's one of the images that we have in the New Testament and uh, 
Ephesians uses that quite often. So right back in chapter 1, it says, he chose us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. But there is another picture in the New Testament that is equally true, which is used of our relationship with God, and that is that we're actually born of him. In in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, whom whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so you know that when somebody has a child, there's a family resemblance, and there may be ways they behave that they, that comes from their parents as well. They carry the DNA of their parents. And what's being said here is that that becoming a Christian is actually having the life of God put in you. And so you're born of him. You carry his DNA. And so your relationship with him is something incredible. You actually belong to him as his natural-born son. And so these these two images are extremely powerful. And when we think of the word father, it's a very powerful word to us. Unfortunately, sometimes the word father has negative implications for us, depending on our own story. And many people find it easier to relate to Jesus than they are to do to relate to father. Now, there's nobody here I don't think has had a perfect father. Has anyone had a perfect father in this room, so I'm not out. Oh, one person. So I'm not out to bash fathers here. I'm a father. Um, we, we're all of us imperfect as fathers, <coughs> but we we tend to impose the imperfections of our own earthly fathers on our heavenly father. In fact, authority figures in general from society tend to be uh, impact our view of God the Father. I want you to imagine. You're driving along in a car, and you're driving along, and then in the rear view mirror, you see um, an authority figure car, you know, with a flashing red light on the roof, a blue light on the roof. Does that make you feel great feelings of warmth? And, oh, these authority figures are there to care for me. I feel so secure. It, we don't have a society where the authority figures are giving us sort of that gentle, nurturing love, and we tend to put that on God. So when we look at God, we would maybe put all all the kind of negative things, even if it's not our fathers, we've had school teachers, we'd have, we've had, you know, government officials, all sorts of people in our lives that have been less than warm towards us, less than nurturing towards us, and our Heavenly Father gets the baggage from that. And so what we need to do, and this is crucial if we're to to develop our relationship with the Father, we have to take our eyes off these negative representations and fix them on God. And the way we do this is we allow God's self-description through the scriptures to define how we view him. And um, uh, primarily, we do that through the way that Jesus taught us to relate to the Father. Um, my own father had a father who was very negative. He was an alcoholic, and he was extremely abusive and sadistic. And my own father grew up through that. And so he had a very bad image of a father. But I saw through his life, through his, his engagement with God, he was able to completely separate those out. And he went through a journey where he was able to completely trust his heavenly father and separate all the negative stuff that's out there and allow Jesus 
definition. So what, how does Jesus define the father? Well, there are places, I think some of the best places are like the parable of the lost son, which actually there's not a good name. We should call it the parable of the extravagant loving father, where you have this son that basically says to his father, I want all of my inheritance now. In fact, I want you to pretend that you're dead and then give me all the things I'd get if you de- you were dead. And then he goes and wastes it all, and he comes back again. And what kind of father would receive him back? And so the question is, um, Jesus is giving us this parable to teach us the character of a father. And of course, he welcomes his son back with open arms. And we are to use that story to inform our own view of the father, that we sin, we, we behave badly, we do wrong things, What's it like when we come back to the Father? That parable and others like it are to inform that because Jesus says he came to reveal the Father to us. He came to teach us about the Father. And so I think it is crucial, it's vital, if we are to develop and enrich our relationship with the Father, to look at what Jesus said about him. And uh, there are wonderful uh, stories in... in. Um, the, the Gospels, but also in the Psalms and the Prophets. So here's Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. And this is like a mother uh, holding a baby and just singing a lullaby or a father singing a lullaby to the baby and just calming them down. And it's saying your father is like that. He'll quiet you down. You're, you're worried, you're anxious. He'll quiet you down. He'll sing to you and, and bring you to peace. And this is the image. And it's very important that we have a mental image of God when we pray to him. That we, because we, we don't just send words off into a vacuum. We're, we're, we have an image of the person we're praying to. And this image needs to be informed by verses like this. It needs to be informed by the parable of the lost son and the loving father. And so uh, I want to really encourage you here to work on this. I want to encourage you to spend some time thinking of what Jesus told us about the father and some of those parables, some of those stories. And I want you to work on when I'm praying to God, what am I thinking of him? And Build a mental image based on what Jesus revealed to us. That's what Jesus told us he came to do, to reveal the Father to us. So you're doing the right thing if you build up a mental image of the person you're praying to. Often I think we just blank. We're praying to God. We send a prayer and it's like we're sending it out off into the void and we're not speaking it to a person that we know. Um, So... Let's go back to our passage here. And what I'd like to do is to go back to the passage and highlight uh, the, the, the words for Father in this passage. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So this is a prayer that Paul is bringing to the Father. I pray the court, that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. So the Father has given you the spirit. And he wants the wealth of his glory. So God wants his wealth given to you. He wants all these good things given to you. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, so that because you've been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him, the Father, who's able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a prayer to the Father. And uh, this prayer expresses his heart to us. If you look at those words, look particularly um, uh, verse 20. The Father who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. So God's heart for you is better than you can possibly imagine. What he has for you, his desire to give good things for you, exceeds your wildest expectations. And this, so this prayer to the Father is prayed out of confidence for what he has for you. So let's move on then to Jesus. And I'm going to go through the passage again, but highlighting references to Jesus here. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you've been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So here is another surpassing, because what the Father has for us surpasses what we can understand, but Jesus' love also surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him, that's the Father, who by the power that's working within us is able to do far beyond all we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to notice there that this love of Christ in verse 19, this surpasses knowledge that it, the, the, the depth, the height, the breadth, all beyond that we can imagine, the goal is to fill us up to all the fullness of God. And the word there is that literally it's filled up to the fullness as if the fullness is a mark. You know, when you're filling, uh, pouring some liquid into something, you're filling it up to a mark, that's where it is. And it's like, this is the mark of the fullness of God, like everything he could possibly give us. And he wants to fill us up, up to that mark with Jesus. So, um, this is one of the most amazing prayers in the whole of scripture. And, uh, this just defies our knowledge and our understanding. And as I read it, I, I read it, I think, well, that sounds good, but you know, I don't really have a handle on what this really means. It just, it's just amazing, but what does it actually mean? And I think that it does defy knowledge. And we're designed to end up by reading this and think, well, that sounds amazing, but I guess I have to wait to see how this amazing, how amazing it is, because I, it, it's beyond it. And, um, and I would rather that than something that was kind of limited and, oh, that will be good. But something that tells me it's going to do, it's going to be bigger than I could possibly imagine, better than I could possibly imagine. Um, this is something that, um, that really speaks to me. I may have told you this story before, but when I was, um, very young, um, I had a passion for tractors. That was what my, as a small boy, you know, we love vehicles and it was tractors and my granddad had a farm and used to love that. And, um, and my, my mom was teaching me about, about God and about the Bible and about salvation. And one day I said to her, um, what's heaven going to be like? And I, she said, well, it's going to be wonderful. I said, will there be tractors there? And that was the key question for me. And she said, Andrew, she said, 
She said, think of the best thing you can possibly think of. Of course, I thought of tractors. She said, they'll be better than that there. And that was such a powerful word, even though I was only about four when she said it, that stuck with me. Better than tractors. Wow. And so, like, your wildest expectations of what could be the best possible thing you could have, it will wildly exceed that. So this is probably the, the, the highest and most glorious prayer and expression of what God has for us in the scriptures. But it doesn't stop here. It keeps on through the book. And I'm just going to jump forward to uh, chapter 5, where it uses the image of bride and, and bridegroom in terms of the relationship and the closeness. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So he's saying the unity between a husband and wife is just a picture of the thing he's really talking about, which is this uh, even greater unity between Christ and the church. Um, in, this really is a mystery, as Paul says. Like We can't really grasp what this means, but it's something that maybe it's easier for women to, to relate to being the bride of Christ than it is for guys to. We just have to work on relating to it, but this is the image that it's used. And it's not just here, it's other places in Scripture. Isaiah 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Revelation, we have pictures as a bride and there's a wedding feast in Revelation chapter 21. Psalm 45 is a song about the wedding of Jesus that's very similar to the whole book of Song of Solomon. Luke 22, Jesus says to the disciples with a fervent desire and literally the words are burning passion. I've desired to eat this Passover with you. He so wants to, to have this last supper with them before he goes. And so this very, very strong, passionate language that's there in the scriptures. One last one. Uh, Hebrews 2, 12 verse 2, Jesus says, about Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What's going on there? That his joy in us was so intense that the pain of the cross is nothing compared with the joy that he's looking forward to with us. When I read this, like it's out of my ability to really grasp it, but it sounds and it feels really good. And so I want us just to linger for a few moments on these thoughts, on this teaching. It's right the way through scripture. It's an intense form in our passage in Ephesians, but it's right the way through there. There is a destiny that we have, which is unbelievable. And there's a particular quality that we're going to have with Jesus that is special to Jesus. That's a joining. That's a connecting. That's an intimacy. That is something that will, um, that will share with him in closeness for eternity and nothing will separate us from his love. Jesus says, I will never abandon you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we are his joy. We are the joy that's set before him. So I've talked about relating to the father as a, a, 
uh, not a, an authority figure that's distant, but a God who just wants to give us all of these good things, wants to blow our minds with the good things he has for us, nurtures us like a parent nurtures their child, is caring and deeply loving to us, like the, the father and the lost son. And we've talked about Jesus and the passion and the unity with Jesus and the, the joy that he has within us, uh, over us. And now I want to talk about the Holy Spirit relationship with the Spirit. So, We ask the question, how do I feel this love of Jesus? I can read about it, but how do I actually feel it? Um, The answer is, it's through the Spirit. The Spirit's role is a little bit more of a background role, but he is the one who actually is the channel of the the blessing. And uh, so when you feel loved by God, that actual feeling of being loved is is through the Holy Spirit. It's like he's the pipe that enables this love to flow through. And it's like a self-effacing task that he has. He steps back and allows the love of the Father and the Son to flow through. But it's actually him who's in contact with you. He is the one who's living in you. He's the, the one that Jesus promised. Jesus says, I won't leave you orphans. I will come again through the Spirit who I'll give you. So, um, so, he is a person. He's not a force. There's verses that speak about grieving the spirit. You can't grieve electricity, which is a force. He's a really a, a, a living person. So how do we experience him? Um, so in, uh, in chapter 1 of Philippians, it says he is the advanced deposit of our inheritance. Um, what does that mean, a deposit? Well, if you're buying anything large, then you uh, you have to uh, often you're like a house or a car. You might have to put a deposit on it, which means you give some of the payment now. And what it's saying is that the spirit is actually some of what we're going to get now. So we're going to have heaven. We're going to have our inheritance, but we get some of that in advance through the spirit. He's actually some of the some of the blessing. Um, Another verse says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And this is in Romans 8. So what it's saying is that this feeling you get of the Father, of being fathered by him, it's actually through the Spirit. He's the one who's the channel who brings this to you. And then another verse, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, a relationship to the Father. So the Spirit makes us feel fathered. So when we talk about your relationship with God, it's actually the Spirit who makes this work. So I want to step back and say, well, what does it mean that we have a relationship with God? We've talked about a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and the Spirit. What does a relationship mean? Could I say, um, I, I've read a lot about the Queen of England. I've, read, I've, I've seen documentaries, and I feel I have a relationship with her because I've read so much about her. Could you say that? No. No, you couldn't. Because no matter how much I learn about her, it doesn't make it into a relationship. Um, uh, so what would be required for it t- to turn into a relationship? For somebody to tell him about me? Would that make it a relationship if somebody said, there's a guy in Canada who reads a lot about you? What would it require to be a relationship? Hmm? Contact, communication. So it needs to be two-way. 
for it to us to have a relationship. I can watch videos of her speaking, but unless she sees me speaking, we have some interaction. It's not a relationship. And so when two people have a relationship, they spend time together. They, 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 they enjoy pleasing the other person. They have a two-way communication that they, they actually enjoy spending time with the other person. They want to do things that will bring a smile to the other person's face. And you could even say they waste time with each other. I've heard that expression with God, and it's a nice expression. You know, if you really, you want to waste time with God, you want to just, you know, you hang out with somebody you love for no particular purpose, just because you enjoy spending time with them. Um, and so you don't, you're never, you're not just talking to God because you want, when you want him to give you something, but you're talking to him out of a relationship. Sometimes people say, um, I want more of God. I, I just want more of God. And, um, it's not that there's anything wrong with saying that. I, that's, that's not a wrong thing to say. But if you think about it, it, it supposing, supposing, um, Braden said to Claire, I want more of you, Claire. Or you should probably say, well, you have me. Like, I'm here. I'm married to you. You know, uh, you have me. If you want more, well, let's do a vacation together. Um, so that's, so it's, it's, we actually have all of Christ. Um, but if you want, if you want more of him, you actually get that by spending time with him. And, um, so I want to encourage you then that what we're talking about here is if we want to improve the communication, we need to spend time communicating. And uh, you may have heard the term spiritual disciplines, and sometimes that has a bad sound to people because they think of discipline as something unpleasant. But actually, uh, being di- really, it's be- about being intentional. So spiritual discipline is being about intentional about spending time with God, intentional about deepening, deepening your relationship with him. And uh, so how does this actually happen? How does this communication happen? Well, of course, the most obvious one is times of prayer. Um, but that might be not just in our prayer time, but it might be cultivating an awareness of his presence. And one thing that really impacted me about my dad was that he was, he, he was so aware of God's presence that at any moment he could just pray, just like, like, you're talking to him, he said, oh, let's pray about this. And we just pray because he's just like aware of God all the time. And it's almost like, like life is almost like a conversation with God. And uh, so this is this, this aspect of prayer is not just time set aside, but a mode of life. And of course, we'd say reading the Bible. Uh, and I would say there's countless times when I've asked God for help and he's spoken to me through the scriptures. As I've read the Bible, I've, God, has, I've, God has touched me. And uh, I want to ask you, did Jesus read the Bible? Of course, he only had the Old Testament there. Did Jesus read the Old Testament? How do we know that? Well, he quoted it. Yes, he quoted it a lot. Um, and uh, even at age 12, we know that he was answering questions um, in the synagogue. Um, and, you know, he didn't just automatically get a dump because he's, he's God, automatically everything put in his mind. He had to work at it because he was, he was re- genuinely a human being. So Jesus uh, did this. It worked at it. And so he, when, when Satan came and tempted him, he could quote the scriptures back. But also... Um, 
There's a, later on when he was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he was able to describe to them the scriptures and take them through the scriptures which were about him. So read it prayerfully and I would encourage you to have a plan for reading the Bible to engage with God through that. Uh, I say another way that we have communication is through God answering our prayers. And um, when God answers my prayer in a very direct way, which he does, I feel very close to him because I feel this communication that he cares for me. And sometimes it's very precise. Sometimes he's, provi- he's, he's providing for me in a particular way and giving me his providence. Um, a felt sense of his presence through the spirit. And his spirit can lead our spirit with, with um, impressions or feelings or burdens or he can speak to us in, a, in, a, in an intimate way through his spirit put something on our heart. It can be as as, um, as simple as putting joy on our hearts. It can be peace. I've been in some very, very stressful situations which uh, I would have expected to freak me out, but I've just had this supernatural peace on me and it's the peace of the Holy Spirit. So the, the felt sense of God's presence through the Spirit. Um, in fact, God can communicate with you in any way he chooses to. And we can't put a limit on it. There's a danger of turning it into a formula and saying, well, God spoke to this person in this way, and therefore he's got to speak to me in this way. And God has a, a, an individual distinct relationship with every one of you. And you must develop that and not try and copy someone else. Because God will, if you're hungry, God will communicate with you. So um, our outline, relationship with the Father, relationship with Jesus, relationship with the Spirit, and now I want to invite you into more of this. <clears throat> One way in which we build this relationship might surprise you, but it's what it says in this verse. You may have kind of skipped over it, but there's something not only in this passage, but actually in a number of other passages, which suggests to us a way a route to closer intimacy with God, closer relationship, that might surprise us. But let's look at the text. I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend and so on. What does verse 17 mean, rooted and grounded in love? Well, if you look at the context of the rest of Ephesians, it unpacks this in the next chapter. Ephesians 4, it says, practicing the truth in love, we will grow, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who's the head. So this is being filled with, with Christ. From him, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does his part, the body grows in love. And in this place, and in quite a number of others I could show you, it seems that as we show love to others, our hearts become attuned to God, and we experience the love of God. I'll say that again because it's so important. If you want to experience more of God's love, you show God's love to others. Be rooted and grounded in that. And as you do that... There are many scriptures which say clearly, God's love will flow into you. So I want to encourage you as I look towards calling you to respond to this. 
We've talked about spending time with God. We've talked about the disciplines or um, the opportunities of, of receiving more of him. But this passage is saying that we need to be rooted and grounded in love. In fact, the whole of the scriptures is a love story. It's a, a, a love story about God's love for his son and preparing a bride and his joy for preparing a bride for his son. And Jesus' love for his father, wanting to, to do anything for his father and restore mankind to the father. Uh, the spirit delight in selflessly lifting up the, fa- the father and the son. And we're caught in the middle of this embrace. <clears throat> and we need to enter into it. And again, I may have told this story before, but it fits this picture very well. Um, my parents tell me that when I was quite small, I could, I could just about walk, whenever they would embrace and I was around, I would try and wiggle myself into the middle between them because there felt not a better place than in the middle between my, inside my parents' hug. There I was safe. There I felt so loved. I want to tell you that in the middle there, of the Trinity, between the hug of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they're loving each other, that's where you can be. Isn't that amazing? That's where you can be. You can be in the center of their love for one another, and that is their desire to do it. We're caught up in their embrace, and we need to enter into it. Uh, we need to seek this and not give up. Develop our relationship with each of the three. Don't treat God as just some sort of force, but enter into a relationship. And I want to end with this invitation, and I'm going to quote the verse I preached on two weeks ago to start with. Uh, the Father says, the Father is inviting you. I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And then in Revelation, we have Jesus and the Spirit inviting us. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to to take the water of life without price. So if you're not a Christian this morning, this invitation is for you. Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father say, come, come to me. He says, come, uh, uh, there's no price, just come. If you're thirsty, that is the requirement. And whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian this morning, the number one requirement is that you're thirsty. Are you thirsty right now? Do you want more of him? Because he will satisfy if you're thirsty. My goal this morning is to hold out for you what is possible not just what's possible what what god wants for you in his relationship with him and to say come this is an invitation come and enjoy him there are pleasures forevermore i'm going to ask the worship team to come up now and we while they come up i'm going to just close in prayer now and invite all of us to come and if you if you are want to respond right now to me as we pray, you can respond in your heart to this prayer. And you can say yes, and you can pray along with me in this prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this, these extraordinary verses that speak of your love to us. 
Jesus, we are amazed at the passionate love you have, that the pain of the cross was nothing compared with the joy that you have in us. Spirit, we are just so blessed by you that our lives are so enriched by all you give to us. And we want to respond to you now. We want to say, yes, I want to experience a deeper relationship with you in this coming year. I want to come. I'm coming to you now. I'm coming. I'm thirsty. Fill me up. My arms open wide. Fill them. I'm coming now. Please give me all that you have. I want you. I want you. I want your blessing, Father, Son, and Spirit. A relationship with you. Amen.